Are you still walking along the path to find out what your life's mission is? It may be closer than you think. Welcome to Mission Possible Program with your host, Carol Ann Fernandez. Everyone has a true calling. Join us now and find yours. Now, here is Carol Ann Fernandez. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mission Possible Program. Happy to be with you. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez and the author of the book, Mission Possible, How to Step into Your True Calling. My guest host today, again, is my dear friend, Lynn Fisher. She has a passion for art, nature, and travel, which has been the cornerstone of her journey. Through a rich and diverse career in the arts, she has witnessed the power that art brings to empower and heal. Lynn's fascination for textiles blossomed into a long-standing career in home furnishings, where she worked with notable designers, including Raymond Waits. A love for Mickey Mouse led her to a successful 10-year career at the Walt Disney Company. As a creative director in the Consumer Products Division, she spearheaded innovative design programs that brought new energy to licensed brands. Driven by a desire to give back, Lynn later stepped into the nonprofit arena, where she facilitated art workshops to survivors impacted by trauma and violence. She has devoted herself to making a difference and opening people's hearts to their greater potential. Lynn is an adventurer at heart and has traveled throughout the world in search of greater inspiration and connection. She is excited to share the wisdom she has learned along the way. Welcome, Lynn Fisher. Thank you for joining me today on this rainy L.A. day and this unprecedented time in our country and the world due to the coronavirus and COVID-19. This is like, unlike anything we've ever seen before, but I, and while it's a challenging time, I do believe it's also a time for us to come together, to help each other, to call forth the best in one another, to really call forth compassion, caring, and concern. So I'm still dealing with the flu. I'm on my fourth week, but I feel like I've just turned the corner. And Lynn, I believe you're on your sixth week. And I think with all that was going on in the world, I was a little reticent to doing this show, but here we are, and perhaps we can inject a little hope and inspiration. So hello, Lynn Fisher. Well, hello, Carol Ann. I'm really happy to be here. And, you know, given what's going on in the world and how I've been feeling and how you've been feeling, I can't think of a better place to be. Um, It's great to be here with you again. And I completely agree with you. It's definitely a time for all of us to continue doing what we can to elevate our spirits and come together in greater support of each other. That's what I'm trying to do, and I'm actually enjoying this pause so I can connect with everyone in my life on a deeper level. And it's also why I feel this program and empowering conversations like this are so important right now. So with that, um, I want to, I'm as I said, I feel very blessed to be here and just, hear more about your perspective. So last week we um, talked a lot about the nuts and bolts of mission and purpose, how you define it, why it's important, and some ways one's mission can be expressed. Today we're going to delve a little deeper. In your book, you talk about the job career mission progression 
that there's a natural unfolding that takes place in our journey to actualize our mission. Can you share more about what you mean by that? So what I observed and what I'd like people to become aware of is that there is a progression that takes place in our lives with regards to mission. It's a broader perspective or context or framework in which to view one's mission and purpose. And I will answer your question with an analogy. So as toddlers, the first stage of our educational system is going to kindergarten. We grow, learn, evolve, and then we move on to the next stage, which is elementary school. So we continue to learn, grow, and evolve, move on to junior high school, high school, and, you know, and perhaps on to college. So we don't go straight from kindergarten to college. And the same is true of our mission. We are going through a progression. We're learning and growing. So the majority of us first start with a job. We may have one job. We may have many jobs. Then we evolve into a, to a career. And then when the time is right, we will have a defining moment which propels us on our path of purpose, propels us on our mission if we allow it to unfold. So in other words, from my perspective, life is preparing each and every one of us for our mission. And while our mission may be seeded during childhood, it will blossom later in life when the time is right. So again, the job, career, mission, progression forms a framework. And it may not apply to everyone, but it's, but from my perspective, it applies to most. Oh, great. So I think it would be helpful if you could define more what you mean by the three different stages. Let's start with a job. Can you say more about that? Yeah, so at the job stage, it's more about a job is just a means to an end. It's about uh, earning a little extra pocket money or it's about paying one's bills, meaning your, your mind and heart are not engaged. And the choice for a job is not made from passion. So in my case, and I'm talking about my very first job, it was merely a desire to make a little more extra pocket money so I could buy the things that I wanted to. So, or maybe for some people, it's a parent saying, you know, instead of watching TV all day, get off the couch and do something for the summer. So some examples of jobs, and this is obviously when we're younger, is, is perhaps babysitting or doing yard work or perhaps working at a parent's business for the summer. So my first job was working at a Montessori preschool. And again, I didn't choose that from a place of passion. It was just a way for me to get my extra pocket money. But at the job stage, at any stage, we're still learning, growing and evolving. So at the Montessori preschool, I, you know, I was learning things like, and I was 16 at the time, right? So I was learning about punctuality and time management, responsibility. You know, maybe um, we might be working alone or we might be working with a group. So if you're working with a group, you are needing to learn to take direction or how to get along with uh, people in the group. You're learning how to do the actual tasks off the job itself or follow through or meet deadlines. And, you know, one of the things that I was also honing when I was at that job, uh, my uh, boss was really 
uh, an amazing person. And truly, those kids were blessed to have such a wonderful, wonderful man in their foundational education. And when I started, I remember him uh, warning me about the full moon. And he said, just have an awareness that when there's a full moon, the children will be super hyper, you know. And when I first heard that, I was very dismissive of that. You know, I remember thinking, what does a full moon have to do with children being hyper? And he would remind us, uh, the entire staff. And sure enough, every single full moon, the kids were hyper, had lots of energy, and were just basically bouncing off the walls. And so... In essence, we had to be, we the staff had to be hyper vigilant with the kids to make sure that they didn't hurt themselves. So on some level, I was continuing to hone my intuitive faculties and always sensing, you know, if that's, you know, sensing when something was about to occur before it did. So those are some of the things that I was learning. So again, at every stage, whether it's um, a job or career, we are learning, growing and uh, evolving. So Lynn, tell me about one of your first jobs and what were some of the things that you learned? Okay, so in high school, um, I was living at home, and during the summer, my parents um, were always pushing me to do something productive, and what that was to them was to get a job. And so I was actually happy just um, swimming and running and doing that stuff, but they were just pushing me to get a job. So my first official job was at a direct mail company. They organized it, my parents, because they knew someone there. And it was a company that sent out bulk mailings and promo materials to consumers. So basically, my job was stuffing envelopes. And our days were spent sorting, folding, collating, stuffing, labeling, thousands of travel brochures, postcards, catalogs, etc., and in a way, it felt like I was living in a real-life Groundhog Day because it was just the same thing over and over again. How many and hours me, did you do that for? What? How many hours? So I, ended did you- up, I ended up starting doing it for one summer, and I then ended up doing it for three summers because it turned out to be to be fun. But in but, the beginning, how many it was hours? just like... How many, hours in, how many hours in a day were you doing that? Eight hours a day. Eight hours oh, a day, five gosh. days a week. Um, wow. And I commuted into New York City. I lived in um, outside of New York City. I commuted on the train in and did it for eight hours a day. And they kept rolling in cart after cart after cart. You'd finish seven thousand of them, and seven thousand more would come in. It was quite quite an experience. And for me at the time, it was just a job. You know, as you said before, it was a means to an end. And I clocked in and out. Um, and I was doing my best and giving it my all, but mostly I was doing it to make my parents happy, to get out of the house and to earn a little spending money along the way. It took everything I had to stay engaged and get through the day because it was really, really, really tedious. Um, and while it definitely wasn't my heart's work or passion, in looking back, I can see how much I learned from it and then gained and gained important knowledge and skills that I have u- utilized throughout my life and in my career moving forward. Um, and in addition to the obvious things that I learned, like time management, meeting deadlines, working hard, 
I actually learned how to access my creativity to think outside the box. I would I would make up sorting games and we would race each other and do all these things and come up with ways to make the process fun. Um, that was a big. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was a really big thing for me to actually feel confident enough to actually come up with these things that were way outside the box, but actually made it fun. I also learned about teamwork because I was working with two other people, and I just love them. And I learned how to connect and collaborate with them in a really genuine way um, so that we could make the job easier for each other, and we could we played our games together, and we also made it enjoyable. But probably the most important thing I learned was... Um, and this is really has been a real key in my whole artistic career. As I learned about commitment and how sometimes the easiest jobs require the most self-discipline and effort. I learned the importance of really putting myself out there and going the extra step, not just getting the job done. When I was in art school, I remember a lot of people wanted to be an art major because they thought it would be easy. It was anything but easy, and it was these skills that really hugely supported me throughout my education and helping me to create a a successful path in the arts. Um, so, So, like you said, this job, when I was in it, was definitely felt mindless and meaningless, but it was definitely an important stepping stone on my journey, even though I was not aware of it at the time. Well, I love that you mentioned the the creativity about, uh, you know, creating the games to get through the day. And it seems like creativity and imagination have been, you know, part of your superpowers. Right. right. And it was really something that I think... Before then, I I was always really creative when I would do art on my own, but I didn't have the courage to step out and start like uh, sharing it in the world. So this job gave me the experience of, and it seems it was very new at the time for me to actually just share my ideas and have people want to be part of it and actually for them to make a difference. So it gave me the courage to to start speaking my voice and seeing that it could be of value. So it was a really important, it was a little thing at the time, but given the fact that I've grown up with so much shyness and um, self-esteem issues, it was really a huge step in my, in my own growth and learning. So um, thank you for, thank you for, go ahead. No, I said beautiful. I love the reframe. Yeah, so, so so it was very important. So let's move on. And um, so the next thing you talk about is the career. So how do you f- define the career stage? So at the career stage, the career affords you greater affluence, influence, and responsibility. At this stage, you've invested more in yourself. Perhaps you've studied or trained extensively and gained like the necessary degrees and credentials to embark 
upon your profession. So as an example, maybe you've gone to college to become an architect or an engineer or a doctor. Maybe you've obtained licenses or, or a license like a mortgage license or real estate license or insurance license. Maybe you've done all of the above or perhaps you've gone to a vocational school and learned to do hair and makeup. So at the career stage, for many, not all, the mind is more engaged than the heart. And by that I mean at the career stage, our choices are not often driven by our passions. And many times it's because we may not know what it is at the time, or we may dismiss it or think that it can, you know, make money etc. So our decisions, again, come from rational, what we think are rational, practical choices. And it's often made by default. So sometimes you may accidentally fall into your career. Perhaps your parents might make the choice for you. So as an example, I have friends in the medical world. And Many of them chose to, I should say several of them, chose to do that because their parents basically told them to do that. I've only met one person in the medical world who really, really had a passion for it and who knew when she was a child that that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to be a healer. She wanted to make a difference. and, And that was her way of doing it. And sometimes we make um, choices uh, for a career based on uh, our culture determines it, in essence, determines our career path. So, again, as an example, I have a Filipino friend and she was sharing with me um, and she's a nurse and she said uh, our greatest export, meaning from the Philippines, are nurses. And there are a great many Filipinos, as an example, who become nurses. And again, that is a solid, solid, solid career. So I understand the the choices. So so again, we make these oftentimes we make these career choices again not from our passions. Now some people do, but uh, again many people are making it from uh, these various different uh, perspectives. So Lynn, why don't you um, tell us about? Your parents who had wanted you to go into, um, to become a secretary, go to secretary school. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, so as long as I can remember, I've loved art. Um, it has been my safe space, a place where I could go when I felt depressed or sad. It was also um, my joy um, during high school, I took a art course, an art class that I really, really loved, and I began to shine in it. And I started to realize that this is the path I wanted to take, that I really wanted to go to art college. Um, I felt like for the first time I had a sense of who I was and what I wanted to do. But my parents were not behind me. They were very... Um, led by appearances and what what people stood for. And at the time, I grew up in the 60s, so I was kind of a hippie, bohemian. And to them, they did not believe that the arts were a viable career path. Um, they thought I would end up being a starving artist somewhere, which at the time, that's what a lot of people thought artists were. So behind my back in high school, I think I must have been either a junior or senior before we started to look for colleges, 
they started researching Katie Gibbs, which was a prestigious secretary, secretarial school at the time, and I don't know if it's even still around, but they believed that this was the right pathway for me because their hope was that it would get me help to get my foot in the door so that I could learn practical skills and get a proper job. During this time, it was really, really, really challenging for me because I wanted to make my parents happy, and I felt a lot of pressure to go their way. I actually tried a typing and a shorthand class in high school and ended up failing them both and had a lot of shame about that. I just wasn't engaged, and I had a lot of overall self-doubt about my choice to go the artist route and came very close to giving up on my dream um, because... Because, I, again, I wanted to please my parents. But thankfully, and this is where I've just been had this blessings where there have been people in my life that have been there, like angels that have been there to support me. But thankfully, my high school guidance counselor stepped in and convinced, and convinced my parents to support me. Um, so my parents reluctantly did so and allowed me to go to a two-year liberal arts college that happened to have an art major, but still they were hoping that I would grow out of it. So they reluctantly let me go, but still they had questions. So throughout the next years, I had to continue navigating the art route and sidestepping my parents through the rest of my college years and the beginning of my career. Um, and I can see now that it was only because it, of my persistence and fortitude that kept me on track and eventually led me to my dream job at Disney and everything that's unfolded for me um, and beyond. Well, I think that's fantastic. And I, I do love, like you said, that you have the fortitude. You know, I think so many people, you know, basically just listen to their parents or you know, defer to their parents. So I love that you you held true to your passion for art. And I do want to say that you have uh, one thing in common with J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series, because her parents wanted her to become a secretary. You know, and I think oh, back, wow. in the, ba- yeah, back in the day, and, and that was not too far along ago in our history, but I think, you know, if we think about it, you know, women had very few choices in terms of careers. You know, that was considered becoming a secretary, uh, and nothing wrong with that, but becoming a secretary seemed to be like one of the only choices that women were offered. And so from, you know, humanity or society or our families, they weren't thinking about, you know, our passions for art or whatever our passions were or what our strengths were or what our gifts, talents and capacities were. So I think that's why a a majority of people are in careers that are not in alignment with who they are. And again, I mentioned this last week, but again, according to Gallup polling in the state of the American workplace, there's a high percentage of Americans surveyed who hate their occupations and they're merely trying to survive each day at the office. The dissatisfaction, anger, and boredom felt by workers hurts the economy. And again, this is all according to Gallup. It costs the U.S. an estimated $450 billion to $550 billion per annum in lost production, stolen goods, and missed days of work. Wow, so. those are quite, uh, quite lofty statistics. <laughs> they are. 
And you weren't one of those statistics because you were able to follow your heart and follow your passion for art. Yeah, and I, I, I feel very blessed about that. And though it took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to stay on track, I, I did that. And I see that it's been... I, like when I look back on it and I think about how hard it was, and even during the course of it, it felt very secure, circuitous, like I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. Somehow there was that will to just make it make it happen, and I think that was a blessing. But I'll tell you, it was not easy. <laughs> it was not easy. I have a lot of scars to prove for it, so... Yeah, but good on you for for really for really enduring, you know. And again, for having that fortitude. And I'm I get that it wasn't easy. And you're you know one of probably in a smaller group of people who, you know, really continued. I want to say to buck the yeah. system, really follow your heart. Right. And further to what you said, like I can really understand that. You know, my parents now, now that they're no longer with us, I really see their earnestness and their love for me and how they wanted only the best for me. Um, and I love what you said about the options that were available to us back then because even in the arts, there was nothing back then. There was fine art and they were starting to do advertising. And I didn't want to do advertising because it just, I wanted to do something that was more genuine and real, not come up with a spin for something. And I can understand how scary it was for them because what do you do with it? They didn't understand how passionate it was to me and it was a life it was a life decision for me. So I get it. And thank God I had whatever it was, I don't know what it was, um, but the, this undying spirit to just keep on keep on going. Um, so thank you for, thank you for affirming that. Yeah. And again, I also want to say something about the parents because really they are so well-intentioned, you know, and I want to say in the case of JK Rowling and probably in the case of your parents, you know, they were just hoping to find a good, solid, safe career for, Mm -hmm. for you. You know, and that's where that intention comes from. So, you know, when I look at choices, like I said, what cultural choices or, you know, where, like I was talking about the, my Filipino friend who was talking about them becoming nurses, that's a good, solid choice. You know, your parents wanting you to be a secretary, that was a good, solid choice then. So I certainly, certainly understand that. So we're actually coming up, uh, we're going to be taking a short break soon. You are listening to the Mission Possible program on voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, in conversation with Lynn Fisher, my guest host. about, And we're talking about moving beyond a job or career to one's mission. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment are you satisfied with your life do you know that more should be possible 
Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Are you tired of your job? Do you feel like you were meant for more? Would you like to live life on your terms? You can when you actualize your true calling. You can be financially sustainable. You can live a meaningful life. You can love what you do, even make a difference and leave a luminous legacy. Drawing from over a decade's worth of research, her immense wisdom and cross-cultural life experience, Carol Ann guides, encourages, and inspires individuals to awaken to their purpose and actualize their life's mission. For those seeking to deepen their understanding and learn more, please visit carolann.global. For information about programs, coaching, and local workshops, or to purchase her book, Mission Possible, A Guide to Discovering Your True Calling, or to invite Carol Ann to speak at your event, please visit carolann.global. Again, that's carolann.global. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Mission Possible Program. To reach Carol Ann Fernandez or her guest on today's program, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd like to send an email, the email address is radiomissionpossible at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Mission Possible program. I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, in conversation with Lynn Fisher, my guest host, and we are discussing the transition from a career to one's mission, as outlined in my book, Mission Possible, How to Step into Your True Calling. Great. So we, um, before the break, we talked about the distinction of what um, your perspective on what a job is and what a career is. Um, do you have anything more to say about that, or do you want me to go on to the next oh, one? I think it's a good time to move on. Oh, okay. Okay, so so the next stage, the third stage, is um, beyond the career stage, is one's mission. So can you say more about that? Yeah, so while a career is often commonsensical, again, it's more like a, a, a rational uh, choice, a practical choice, a safe choice. At the mission stage, the heart is more engaged than the mind. So in other words, the mind is in service to the heart. The heart says yes to the call and the mind goes about executing the plan to make it happen. So one's mission stems from the heart. It's often an extension of who you are. It's something that you have a great passion for. Perhaps it's the result of your life experience. It's intrinsic to who you are. It's the next stage of your evolution. And, you know, I'll give two examples here because we had mentioned J.K. Rowling's earlier on. You know, her parents like your parents, wanted her to become a secretary. And at one point, she was an English teacher. So those were, in essence, uh, her careers. 
right? And thank heavens that she leaned into the thing that she had passion for, which was writing. She wrote her first story when she was six years old. She wrote a story about a rabbit, and it was called Rabbit. So she loved writing stories. She loved telling stories. She had a vivid imagination. She loved reading. You know, they would play dress up. And so she eventually leaned into the thing that she had passion for, which was writing. And I look at how... um, the world, uh, we would have lost out had she just, in essence, stayed in her career. And again, nothing wrong with being a secretary, nothing wrong with being a, a, a teacher. Teachers are fantastic. But if there is something that is emerging, that is wanting to come through, then it's about allowing that to do so. And look what amazing things you know she did with the Harry Potter series, right? And then uh, George Lucas is someone who I mentioned in, in my very first episode and he is also one of the reasons why I wrote my book but again George Lucas's father wanted his son to George Lucas's father had a stationery store and wanted his son to continue and George was having no part of that you know he wanted to be a filmmaker and and again his father probably like your parents didn't want him to you know be a starving filmmaker and didn't understand it and you know he and George Lucas would have words and when George was 30 he had a huge fight and he said you know by the time I'm oh excuse me prior to 30 he said by the time I'm 30 I'll become a millionaire and he did but again I look at that had he chosen the route of staying in a very safe solid career of taking over the stationery store and doing as his father did he wouldn't have stepped into the next stage of his evolution his growth his learning right and we would have missed out on that amazing story that he shared with us you know Star Wars that has been enjoyed for generations and now obviously Disney has bought it and it keeps going and going but again you know sometimes I I think back to people who have done uh, amazing things I look at Mother Teresa we talked about her last week and had she just remained uh, a headmistress at the convent you know she wouldn't have done the extraordinary things that that she came here to do so that's what I mean by a mission it's an extension it's the next stage of our evolution it really comes from the heart it comes from passion Mm. Yeah, that's that's great. And I know in coming programs we're going to be talking more about how to um find that inside of yourself. Um so I'm really looking forward to that. Um but for now, um if you could briefly recap um just the three stages you had just so we can um see them all together, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, so so again, with a job, it's just a means to an end. Usually at this stage, for most people, the mind and the heart are not engaged. At the career stage, you've invested more in yourself, you have more affluence, more influence, more responsibility. And at this stage, often, not always, the mind is more engaged than the heart, right? Because we tend to make rational, practical choices, logical choices. At the mission stage, that comes from the heart. That's your passion. That's an extension of you. And this is where the heart is more engaged than your mind. And again, like I said before, your mind is in service to your heart and not the other way around. 
Wow, and I I love how you love call how it you a, prog- a progress- progression, and how in the beginning when you when I was talking about the job stuffing em- envelopes, how you made a point to ask about the learning, um, because I I can see how all of these are related and they are a projection. Um, that there are, there is learning through all of them that you can take with you no matter what, what, what the path is. So I appreciate for myself knowing that, you know, when I have questions about what my mission is or why I was doing certain things, when I start to look from what the thread is, there actually is a progression and a thread. There's, there's a, a, a bigger picture that's happening and a thread that's going through them all. So um, is that what you were saying or is there more you want to say about that? Yeah, and, and I think like sometimes, you know, we, we take it for granted or we're so busy, you know, we, we don't take in the lessons, the learnings. We don't look for those little threads and those little threads to me are the clues that are leading us to our mission. So I love how you reflected on that. I love how you saw, you know, the things that you learned to that job that have been impacting you since and have really served you. Yeah, and it's interesting. As I said, like a lot of times when I was going the other way, like starting with the job and the career and the mission, I was lost because I didn't see the threads. But looking back on it, the threads are really obvious. So it's great to know that they're there, especially for people that are just starting this process um, because there are a lot of clues and information that's that's there. And it certainly has been really helpful for me to make sense of my life because I've shifted careers. I've always been the arts, but I've gone from the nonprofit world to the commercial world to the home. I've been in different aspects, and even through that, I had questions about it, but each one was a stepping stone to get me to where I am today, which is on my own, looking at what my own contribution is beyond working for a company or a corporation. So it's 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 been very helpful to just distinguish these um, and to hear um, just them more in depth and that there is a thread running through. So um, I'd love to hear, I love when you talk about your examples because it really helps to see all the different types of ways that people connect into what their mission is, what their job, their career is. So if you could just share more, um, some more examples of people who evolved from a career to their mission, I think it would be very helpful for the listeners. Yeah, so the first person that I wanted to talk about was uh, someone I interviewed several weeks ago, uh, Michael Aubrey. He's an artist, and uh, so we'll start with uh, with the job. So when he was 14, his mother wanted him to have a job and got him a job as a box boy, I believe, at, at a grocery store. I believe it was Vaughn's. And he absolutely hated it, right? So he quit shortly thereafter. And, and he was really wanting to connect into his joy rather than being at something that was miserable for him. And he did put a lot of work into finding a, a job. And he did so. He found a job at, at a, um, a design job creating logos. And so he did that after school. He would go to school. And after that, he'd head off to his job. So he did that for a while. He then became very clear that he was going to art school, just like you. And while he was, uh, I believe, a junior in college, he started working for Disney. 
And then he eventually landed his dream career at Warner Brothers while he was still at art school. So, you know, as I'd said before, by societal standards, he had arrived. He had, you know, he was doing all the right things. He's working at Warner Brothers. He has a great, uh, great career. And I believe it was in the ad department doing video packaging and the movie posters, etc. And at some point, Michael walked away from it. And there was a defining moment for him when he was at home and he pulls out a little piece of wood and he starts painting. And he hadn't painted in years. You know, he'd been doing the design, uh, the graphic design for a long time, but he hadn't painted. And once he started that, this this energy started flowing through. And, you know, eventually what came forward were the beautiful paintings that he does now. And one of the questions that I was asking him when he was at Warner Brothers, as an example, you know, he's, he's working at his craft, he has a solid career. On Sundays, he would go to Agape, a spiritual center that you and I have both been to. And it was almost like he was segregated, right? The, Michael's a very spiritual person. Michael is a very wise person. And all of those were, in essence, sort of segregated while he was in his career. But now as the artist, as the creator of visions of origin art, all of those come together, all those passions, his his artistic side, his spiritual side, his depth, all flow into his work. So there you can see the prog- progression. Now, he was like you, in, you know, did art all the way through. That's not often true for everyone, but you can see the progression that he went through. Another person that I wanted to share about is someone by the name of Genevieve Petoro. Now, she had climbed, successfully climbed the corporate ladder. She had her own company in the entertainment industry. And at some point, intuitively, she knew that those were her final stages in her career. Like, she knew she couldn't go any further. And she also knew that she was not meant to continue climbing the corporate ladder. So she was trying to figure out what was next for her. And she had gotten married later in life. And her husband, bless his heart, everyone should have such a supportive husband. He wanted to support her. And he kept telling her, it's inside of you. The answer is inside of you. Now keep meditating on it. Keep asking every day and don't stop asking until you get the answer. So Genevieve started doing that. She's asking and meditating. And then one day when she's in the subway, she hears the words pajama program. And she describes it like a raindrop landing on her. And when she heard those words, she knew what it was. And Genevieve had, while she was in her career, she was also volunteering at shelters. And so that was a clue. She also loved kids. That was a a clue. And what she found out when she was volunteering at the shelters is that many of the abandoned children slept in their clothing. Uh, Many of them did not even own a pair of pajamas. So she started collecting pajamas, like from family, from friends, and delivering it to the children. And so that became her mission, which was to provide children in shelters and group homes, uh, children waiting to be adopted, 
um, and she provided them with pajamas. And it's a way, and many of the children were poor, were abused, were abandoned, were deprived of love. So it's her way of expressing or giving them a little comfort, you know, giving them a little warmth, giving them a little love. And that's how she started the pajama program. And again, what started off as a very simple, simple mission, a very simple idea has now led to 60 plus chapters in the U.S. And I know at one point they were doing it globally, like in other countries. So that is an example of someone who left a very successful career and then stepped into her calling, stepped into her passion. Wow, what a beautiful story. It seems so meaningful, you know, and so, so important. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and she's doing, you know, she's doing amazing work with the kids, you know, just to think about all all the children who are abandoned, you know, all the children who who come from broken homes or who are coming from violent backgrounds. And and you know about that through the art that you did, um, you know, some of the artwork that you've, the work that you've done. Um, Oh, yeah, the work that, uh, I mean, it was the same thing that um, my last job, job, job was a working with a um, a great nonprofit. Um, it was called The Window Between Worlds, who actually used transformative artwork shops to support people um, with trauma. And we worked with domestic violence survivors, um, people from the military, people sexual assault survivors. And it was amazing where it started from a simple vision um, but when you saw the power of what what it did to actually help and create a safe space for women and children, it was it was um, really amazing. And I so feel when you talk about um, Genevieve's, like I can feel it because I can see. I remember the times where we would facilitate prob- proj- um, programs with the women and children, to just see how touched they were, to just have somebody who cared. It was really, really beautiful. So thank you so much for um, for sharing that story. It yeah. really moves me. <laughs> so the so. next person is Jonathan Adler, and I think you can relate to him as well. He was 12 years old when he goes to summer camp and encounters a potter's wheel for the first time. Right. So there's his love for art, but it's specifically pottery. And he's immediately captivated. Right. He loves, loves, loves pottery. And he convinces his parents when he comes back home, he convinces his parents to buy him a potter's wheel and a kiln to fire the ceramics. And then he spends his entire adolescent life in the family's basement throwing pots. So then he goes off to college, but he also takes ceramic classes at one of the top art schools, and he's creating these whimsical pottery designs, you know, inspired by Chanel, and then he ends up telling a teacher that he wants to pursue a vocation in the creative arts, so you can relate to this, Lynn, and she tells him that he has no talent and that he should pursue a career in law instead. So he is crushed, and he gives up on his passion for ceramics so 
you know, takes, chooses a different direction. And one of his first jobs is working in a mailroom at a talent agency, right? So he's in the entertainment business now. And eventually, you know, keeps climbing up and eventually carves out a, a solid career for himself in the entertainment industry, working for a very well-known film producer. So again, by societal standards, he has arrived. He's got, you know, a wonderful, solid career in the entertainment industry. The only problem is he absolutely hates it. And it gets to the point where he can't take it anymore and he walks away and he he ventures back into the world of ceramics. And, you know, his idea of success at the time was to just, you know, make a few pottery pieces and a sell. And, and if you could sell a few of them at flea markets or craft fairs, that was success to him. And that's what he ended up doing. You know, he ended up selling at flea markets and craft fairs. And then eventually a high-end retailer began buying his handcrafted ceramics. And then celebrities started buying his wares. You know, and basically one thing led to another. And from there it took off. And today, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a longer story and a longer arc. But today he presides over a multi-million dollar design empire, which in, includes numerous stores worldwide. You know, and so Jonathan had the, like you, the fortitude and to follow his passion. You know, he, was, he so deeply, deeply loved ceramics. And, you know, he was on the Oprah Winfrey show. And I remember they were both throwing pots together, right? So Oprah is stepping into his world. And he sticks his hands in the, in the clay and he says, isn't this orgasmic? You know, and Oprah's like, well, not quite. <laughs> Yeah, but but they're both being truthful in terms of their answers because for Jonathan it it was orgasmic for him, right? It was passion. He loved, loved, loved clay. He loved throwing pots, and for Oprah that was an honest answer because her passion was speaking and talking and interviewing people, right? So. And I want to add a little caveat here. You know, sometimes people can look at someone like a Jonathan Adler and go, well, you know, he made money, you know, doing ceramics, so I'll go and do ceramics. But the thing is, like, if I were to do that, you know, there's a strong probability that I wouldn't be successful at it. It's not my passion. It's not my thing. Right. It doesn't capture my heart. So it's not about following someone else's dream or thinking, well, because they did it and they succeeded in, in doing that. Therefore, you should follow them. It's really about listening to yourself. It's about following your heart. It's about looking at your passions, your interests, your gifts, your talents, your your capacities and, and your life experience and it all coming together in your mission. Yeah, wow, that's that's great and I can I can so relate to that because when I've done things in my life where I've tried to do it for my parents or I've tried to do something because I've seen someone else do it, it never works. But when I'm standing in who I am, like I I told you the story about um, I know I've told you this about even when I got the job for Disney. Um, I, because I had really low self-esteem, a lot of times I would go for these big jobs because I had the I had the um, experience to do them, but I didn't have the confidence. So I would actually talk myself out of the jobs. And when I got the interview for Disney, I it was actually the easiest thing I ever did because since I was a little girl. 
since I was four years old, I loved Mickey Mouse, and Mickey Mouse was my source of joy, and because Disneyland had opened up, just opened up when I was a kid, and so I had a connection. So when I was at Disney, the reason I was so successful, even though on some level I was so scared and didn't have this confidence and self-esteem, it's because I loved Mickey Mouse so much that I was able to break the the glass ceiling for myself and do things that I never thought I did before. So I love, again, what you're saying is affirming that it does come from a place of of a very strong, heartfelt passion. It does come from that. And so when you say that, I can look at my life and say, oh, my God, that's what's true for me, too. So, again, I I appreciate hearing these stories because it really helps to relate to my own experience. Well, I have one more story. We're actually a little short on time, so maybe I can do this one um, quickly, and that's John Wood. And he was a high-powered senior exec at Microsoft. He was a Bill Gates point person in Asia. He was living large, had a jet-set life, included traveling all over the world, you know, first-class flights, corporate expense accounts, chauffeured cars, etc. He ends up taking a vacation in Nepal and has a chance encounter and uh, there he visits a school for children, and to his dismay, he sees about 80 uh, enthusiastic kids sitting on a dirt floor, and their library consisted of tattered books discarded by tourists that were really inappropriate for kids. And so he makes a rash promise that he's going to come back there and, and, and bring them books. And uh, the headmaster at the school says, you know, many people have done that, but they've never returned. Well, John immediately emails his friends and he's asking them and explaining and begging for books. And he, you know, he's expecting to get 500 books. Instead, he re- receives 3000. And he ends up going back to Nepal and giving them these books uh, and he went with his father and he just you know the seeing the look on the on the kids faces was just um, amazing to him and the bottom line is he ended up walking away from his solid again solid career by societal standards he had succeeded and he starts his own nonprofit called a room to read and he has done amazing things and many people thought he was crazy and or he was having a midlife crisis because he did that but he said you know, his response was, it wouldn't be a crisis if I didn't follow my heart or if I didn't follow it. Wouldn't it be a crisis if I didn't follow my heart or didn't follow my passion? And today he's impacted over 18 million children worldwide. So I just want to say in closing, like regardless of whether you love your career, if someone loves their career or and they retire from it or they've completely outgrown it or, or hate it, I just want people to know that the ending of a career is not the end of one's life. There is another stage It's and it's called your mission it's the next stage of your evolutionary journey so thank you for joining me again today lynn fisher and um to is there anything else your quick something you want to say lynn i just wanted to again thank you for your courage and determination to live your own mission and to inspire others to do the same it's really making a huge difference and i'm happy to be a part of it so that's all I want to say at this point. And just for everybody to just be safe and well. <laughs> yes, well said. And to the rest of our audience, keep gathering the clues to your mission like Genevieve Pitoro. Keep asking, keep meditating, and 
finding an answer as to what your mission is. If you have any questions about mission and purpose, please email me at radiomissionpossible.com. And I'm your host, Carol Ann Fernandez. I will leave you with this quote by Panache Desai. Your presence upon the earth is required and all that you need to fulfill your greater purpose will be delivered to you. Everything is conspiring to help you flourish and flower into your grandest self. This has been the Mission Possible program. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Mission Possible Program. Please join your host, Carol Ann Fernandez, for another edition of the program next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until the next show, we wish you the best week ahead.